0: Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of PreReal. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. So everyone's talking about what's happening out in the economy right now. Um, Inflation, 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 interest rates, interest rates, interest rates. We thought it would be a great idea to have Clint Turner join us today. Uh, Clint's the owner of a Wayland Company. Uh, He has built two seven-figure businesses, uh, and he's in the process of making them to eight figure businesses on the the land side. He's got a a real interesting model folks. And for those of you that are are thinking about what so many of us have been thinking about kind of turning in that nine to five and, and looking for a different way to live and build a passive income stream that's resilient, recession proof, uh, and doesn't require you know eighty hours a week of your your time and attention. I think Clint's on to something here, and uh, we're real excited for you to join us today, Clint. Thank you so much, Bud. Yeah, James. Thanks for the intro. Very yeah. kind of you. <laughs> oh, my my pleasure. I'm a deal junkie. I love I love to get into the weeds on this stuff. So uh, anytime we have the opportunity to speak to someone that's doing something a, a little different, uh, it's exciting for me. So. Uh, if you if we could give us in one or two minutes just a snapshot of what away land company does first and then we'll get into the backstory
1: yeah so um you know away land company that's my parent land land company um has really gone through an evolution over the last six years as most people have to with shifting markets but the primary story of away land company i started it. I'm 27 right now. I started it when I was 20, 21 and we got into flipping vacant lots. That's what we were doing. Right. So we go and buy lots at that time. We could buy lots for 30 cents on the dollar pretty regularly. Um, and we can bring them to market at 70 cents on the dollar and we could turn them pretty quickly. Right. And where, uh, and this is just, you know, not by, I would say my necessary expertise. It's just what I learned, uh, when, when I got started, the podcast, I was listening to the programs, I took all the things, you know, people were talking about financing your own properties, right? Financing your own land. And when you can buy land cheap enough, we can, you know, we can put our own first lien mortgage behind it. Right. And we can act as the bank. And as I like to say, the bank always wins. So it's always great to be in the bank seat. Right. Um, So that's what we started doing. We were buying smaller, medium-sized properties. Uh, We were selling, probably half of them on owner financing where we would, we'd hold the note, we'd earn, uh, we'd, you know, make all the interest upside. And then when people default, we can talk about that later, but, uh, we like defaults in our business. So, <laughs> uh, so, you know, we started that and then over the past few years, we've, we've kind of found the tangential niche where, um, where we're, we're subdividing and creating this, this, this rule and inventory. Right. Um, and so that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're, we're about 50 50 between buying and flipping lots uh, with owner financing and then buying bigger projects that we're doing that we're putting a little bit of value added to, to, to make into a lot of smaller parcels.
0: There's big money in, in getting, taking these big tracks. Um, we just took down a, a, a very large piece in New Mexico, 1700 lots, uh, on a golf course. So, um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a deal junkie. Uh, there's a lot of of neat uh, ways to do that. We'll we'll get into that. But you started this at 22 years old. I mean, that's that's young. You know, a lot of us are are in our 40s, 50s, 60s, and still struggling to find the courage. Uh, you know, get rid of the excuses and actually jump in head first you know was there a strong mentor or presence in your life around real estate that motivated you like you know how, how did you how did you get into the gig to begin with
1: yeah um no no strong mentor or family member or anything i've always been very entrepreneurial though from from the young age um my best friend also very entrepreneurial we tell this like to tell the story we we met in, in middle school, I think is what it was. And in middle school, I was buying iPhones because you could buy them cheap off Craigslist. Or you could buy them cheap for people who didn't understand the value. And you could sell them for two or three times. So we'd buy a phone for 1500 bucks, sell for two, 300. And my buddy was selling a phone and I bought it for like 80 bucks. And at the time they did promotions where it's like, you know, $50 for a new phone. So nobody really understood that the phones were being financed, right? Whatever. Um, anyhow, so my buddy like thinks he ripped me off that, you know, I bought his phone and we come back after the weekend. He's like, so what'd you do with that phone? Kind of like jabbing at me. Like I sold it. He's like, what, what how much you sell for I like, $350? He's like, what, this guy just like took me for a ride. So, you know, I've always been like, uh, uh but it, that was a spark of a very good friendship, but, um, I've always been very entrepreneurial and I've had a lot of things that weren't real estate that didn't work as I was going through college and uh, kind of coming up or some that worked, worked minorly. Um, you know, with land, man, it was just something I heard about. I learned about it. It kind of clicked with me. And so I was trying it alongside some other things and, you know, we had a couple big wins and I was like, shit, you can make some serious money doing this. <laughs> right. It's kind of the first real big wins that I'd had uh, in the entrepreneurial journey. But yeah, I've always just wanted, man, to, 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 to be a business owner to work for myself um i went to have a background in engineering i got a four year four and a half year whatever um <laughs> uh, a, dig, a degree in mechanical and electrical engineering and i did that for a couple of years but just grind into the sales because that's that's where i went into naturally was the sales side of it that's just it's a grind man it's tough um and i was like man there there are so many different ways that you can go make 60 or 70 thousand a year just to cover that first that first base right and so that's where I was. And I was just in that like hungry trying to do something different stage. And land was the first thing that worked. <laughs> it was where I was finding a success to where I could leave the job and do the things. Um, and so I've just always loved it and had an attachment to it since.
0: So uh, the, there's a common theme, you know, amongst us serial entrepreneurs. Um, and I, I found that many of us have similar backstories and, and you know, we all share Certain characteristics, um, you're you're pursuing this this gig, and off the hop, the the question I'm always asked when I talk about this type of work is Ah, you know, there's got to be a scam. No, nobody nobody's selling you that property at twenty five cents on the dollar. Yeah, and, you know, could we talk the audience through? Because that, folks, is patently false. That's an excuse not to act. People absolutely are in different stages in life and perceive value very differently than we do. And there is a preponderance of land that's available at significantly discounted rates in the best of markets, in the most competitive of markets. So that is complete hogwash. Can you talk to the audience a little bit, Clint, about that specifically how are you sourcing these deals? What, what is the average? Is it twenty percent, twenty five percent, thirty percent of 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 the comp? What is your your sweet spot?
1: Yeah, so I'll definitely say it's change, right? And that's that's a great point you make. And I always push back when anybody tells me it's too competitive or nobody's selling anymore. And we're finding deals every month. You know, <laughs> uh, it might not be. You know, it might take a different set of skills than you have, but there's there's definitely different. There's definitely deals out there um you know why do people sell land cheap there's a few different reasons when you think about it logically the first thing i'll say is five or six years ago we really would buy and it's really almost like a measuring stick however many drive it is to the like however many minute drive it is to the major metro the farther that is the lower the number is right both in price of the property and in and in what percent you can buy it at if that makes sense right so property two hours from the city, I could, you know, realistically buy for let's say 30 cents or 40 cents on the dollar. Whereas Mm -hmm. a property 30 minutes outside of Dallas where I live right now, you know, I could probably wouldn't expect to buy most of my deals for any less than 70 cents on the dollar or 60 cents or 50, you know, somewhere in there. Um, so that's the first thing I say is the quality of the land really drives, uh, drives what discount you're going to buy it at. Right. Um, First off, if you've ever flown in an airplane, which actually a surprising amount of people haven't, but uh, that's a different, <laughs> that's a different conversation. If you've ever flown in an airplane, there's just vast amounts of land that you look out over. When you drive in a car a long distance, you see vast amounts of land. Everybody, every piece of land you've ever looked at is owned by someone, right? It could be the state, the state owns it. I don't know the exact percentage, but, you know, roughly a third, but the other two thirds are owned by like Joe down the street or like somebody. Right, and there is just so many. I don't know the exact number. I knew it, I've known it in the past. I think there's twenty or thirty or forty million or something like that vacant land parcels in the United States that are already platted. Right, not the fact that you can create more, um, but there's so much inventory. Right, and people don't have like when you're trying to buy an apartment complex or you're trying to buy someone's house at a discount. There's a legitimate argument to be made, or somebody says, "Well, I don't want to sell you my house." at 70 cents on the dollar, right? I live here, like I'm attached to the house. A lot of that land that you see was Uncle Joe's and then Uncle Joe died and then it went down to this person and they've used it or they've never seen it, never been to it. They just know it exists, right? Um, They don't have the same level of emotional attachment to the piece of land as maybe somebody does to a house or a storage facility or apartment complex, something like that right? There's a very little attachment a lot of the times to the piece of land from the person we buy. There's plenty of people that are very attached to their land and tell us to go pound sand. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some that don't, right. That they don't, they don't know much about the property. So, you know, I will say there's, there's a lot of reading out there if you get into land invested that says you can buy land at 20 or 30 cents on the dollar. You know, I don't think that's necessarily true anymore that maybe 10 years ago, you know, I would say maybe we're at a a level of like you can buy land at 40 cents on the dollar if it's farther out and you're probably going to be eking up towards 60 70 80 percent as the quality of the property goes up but you know if you can buy a million dollar property at 70 cents on the dollar there's a lot of money to be made there right um so there's a lot of different ways to skin that cap but there are plenty of people out there that own property that they've never been to aren't attached to and will definitely send you just got to get in touch with them
0: and and the preferred methodology for you to get in touch is it pounding the phones is it letters what's the the secret sauce that's worked for you yeah in the past letters have been like i can't even imagine when it was
1: like 15 years ago i really am only about six years into this but when i started letters were extremely extremely effective the average demo that we buy from is in 50 plus 50 55 60 plus so The letter works well, they check the mail, they use it, right? Um, There's been a lot of education and stuff that's come out in the land space. So there's definitely more players now. Um, So there's more letters, there's more things on the desk. So we still use land, (coughs) excuse me, we still use mail. That's probably 50% of our deals just come from our letter strategy. And then the other 50% come through just a variety of different ways. We use text messaging. Um, I feel scared to say that out loud sometimes now because there's a lot of like lawsuits and BS going on with that. But we use blast texting. We've used ringless voicemails. We use cold calls. Um, and there's a lot of real ninja ways you can find land too. Like again, Bill down the street might have heard that Craigslist is a great place to sell his property. Right? He may have posted it on Craigslist, and you're 150 days old. It never sold. You call Bill thinks the property is never going to sell all of a sudden you got to lead at 60 cents on the dollar or whatever. Right. So Craigslist, Facebook groups, Facebook ads, we've done it all. Our kind of primary right now in 2022 um, today is about half letters. And then the other half is spread out between text, cold call, and just my VA's just running, running a buck in the different Facebook groups and MLS type type listing places.
0: So, um, you're talking about the VAs, and and I want to get to that at some point because I think uh, what is what's the most attractive part of the land investing for me is it is very manageable um, and it is a business where you if you have the proper infrastructure in place you don't have to necessarily create a whole mess of jobs for yourself to do a lot of the work. Uh, Believe it or not, folks, and Clint, I'm I'm not sure if it is, but I would suspect it's been your experience that the VAs today are clearing title, they're doing proper diligence, they're handling marketing. I mean, there's a mess of of responsibilities that you don't have to handle yourself anymore uh, or have an office with a team of 10 uh, in person handling that work. Has that been your experience?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah you know, for, we've done 600 and something deals in the last six years. And I've, now this has changed a bit because I've started doing a lot bigger deals lately, but um, for, let's call it 580 of those deals, I've never, I never even saw, I never touched and never stepped on, right? It was just shuffling paper was the true mechanic at the end of the day. Um, yeah, man, it, the way I like to tell people is that everything, just about everything in real estate or in land really almost any real estate asset class, it's commoditized about 95% of the way. The only 5% that's not a commodity or has a pretty standard price around it is exactly what you said, is being a deal junkie or like being a deal maker is is is, is what I say on my side. Um, that's the only thing, like VAs run 10 to $40 an hour, right? Attorneys run two to $600 an hour. Title companies cost just about the same, right? Depending on where you go. Like everything is done for you more or less. There's a there, there's learning, there's specifics. But where you really make the money is you get a deal maker, right? That's the only thing that you can't go and just pay somebody and they give you a deal, right? It's the skill. Um and so yeah, like you know, that's really what it is at the end of the day is everything else VAs from first phone call, first lead, first time a person reaches out uh to close is can pretty much be done 95% without you. The five percent where you want to play is being the deal maker, right? Closing deals, doing 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 whatever you got to do to get the deal closed. I've I've done many deals lately uh, on the bed of my truck because I went yeah. out and this guy won't, you know, he won't sign the contract on DocuSign. I was like, okay, well, I'll fucking drive out and meet you. <laughs> Sorry, because <Yeah. laughs> like, because of this, right? I'll I'll meet you at the day, at at the property, and we shake hands and drive around in the truck, and all of a sudden we got we're on the bed of the truck signing the document right? That's the 5% that you want to play in and what you want to do. Everything else can be done by other people. So yeah, we have a pretty lean team. I've been up to 20. I've been alone, obviously, at the beginning. Um, We operate with like five or six people right now. Um, And that's about all I do is just play in that final, that that final phase of, all right, numbers look good. Like, let's make this deal happen somehow, right? Let's get that contract signed. So Um, everything other than that can be done by someone else.
0: So, your are you focused now more on uh, finding buyers for your product per se only, or are you also offering um, consulting and coaching to teach people how to do what you do?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, we do both. Uh, I've I've done a lot of consulting over the last four or five years. I don't do as much anymore. Um, we kind of have a, we have a mastermind group for experienced investors and that's pretty much our main consulting site product right now. But the majority of what we do is, yeah, we, we find the deal and then we bring it to the market often, right? And the market is normally hungry enough to take it. We have some repeat buyers, but most of the time we're taking the deals down, bringing them, listing them, getting them cleaned up a bit. Um, and so that's what we're doing and we're looking for flips and we're looking for projects that we can do subdivisions on.
0: Okay. Now um, when you're executing the plan, right? Where are, are you looking in one market, two markets, 20 markets at a time? What does that scope look like? I lost your, your audio there. Sorry about that. Oh,
1: um, yeah, I think it depends on you know, this is kind of a tough, tough one to answer because six years later, what I would tell you from day one is i would just go after the big the big deals right the whales because you do one or two of those a year and you make more money than you do on the smaller ones but also it's very intimidating for someone who's never done a real estate deal to go out and put together a multiple million dollar deal <laughs> off the bat right so i'm also a proponent of people getting started doing smaller properties and so i think which route you're going changes that answer a little bit Um, because if you're doing a more rural approach where you're going for cheaper properties, um, you're going to have a higher hit rate. I like to explain it like, like, like we get this dopamine hit when you get a lead and you get a deal, right? Yeah. So sometimes doing five or 10 small deals to get going, just get your engines going. Right. And then it really gets you motivated. So that's what I think you find when you go call it two, three, four hours away from a major city. You're going to find a lot of desert, just tree forest land, completely undeveloped. But people love to buy it because they want land and they can't afford the stuff near the city. So they just buy farther away because it's cheaper. So you can go mail out there. And if you're going to do that, you probably want to choose a handful of areas, probably five or 10, right? Just to have the volume of touches, right? Of letters or phone calls or whatever it is. As you get closer to the city and you maybe start playing a little more on the value add side. I think it, it serves you very well to get really ingrained in a few markets, right? Because there's more rules and there's, you need contractors or you need attorneys or you need whatever the hell it is, right? It makes things go faster um, for those larger deals. So it kind of depends where you're going, right? Um, I work in about five sub markets of Dallas and Austin here in, in Texas for our bigger deals. And then we do a lot of smaller deals in West Texas, Southern Colorado, all over Arizona. Um, but for the bigger deals we do, like it's, it's closer to home and it's in markets I know well.
0: Okay. Um, and when you're executing, especially on the smaller ones, because the bigger ones, uh, I suspect you have time for diligence and you can really kind of get in the weeds and figure it out. Right. But the smaller ones, um, how are you establishing comps? I mean, are you diving into the MLS on a regular basis? I mean, what what tools are you using to establish your comp base?
1: So CoStar owns all, any site that's lands of, CoStar owns. So lands of Texas, lands of America, land and farm, land watch. There's a couple others. Basically, if you Google land for sale in Texas or something like that, three of the top five results are going to be a CoStar site. So you can get some good data just by using their front end site for free of just looking at sold comps. It'll give you like, it's confusing actually, because it doesn't give you a lot of data. (laughs) It tells you that there is a comp. It doesn't tell you when it sold or how long it was on the market or anything. Of course, you got to pay them for that information. Um, So you can pay them and then get access to the back end to see their database. So I use that a lot. Um, And then we just combine that with the market, you know, the marketplace is Zillow, realtor.com. Um and we, you know, we try and find three, it's like our our process inside the business is we want to find three comps that are as like kind as possible, right? So they have similar features, features being sloping and road access, electricity, utilities, things like that, right? We want it to be similar and as close as geographically possible. And so we're just going to choose our. We're going to find the three best comps. We're going to sort through. We're going to dig like little rats through all the data and find the three best comps. Um, And then that's generally how we're pricing lots for just a flip. And 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 on that note, if we establish that the, like the median price is going to be fifty thousand in an area, I'm expecting to sell at forty five thousand because I want to turn and burn. I want to get stuff out right. I don't want to sit. So we're going to want to come in and be the most competitive property for sale in the area, that's how you sell a lot quicker. Um, so that's how we talk typically.
0: So on, let's use that example, a $50,000 parcel, you're willing to take 45. Uh, where are your offers typically when you're targeting a piece that is going to look something like that on the, the resale? For something like that exact deal,
1: I also got to ask myself, is it going to sell on terms or is it going to sell for cash? Right, It's going to take me down two different Yeah. Uh, Two different paths. If I think it'll sell for cash, I don't want to be much higher than 50, like 50 cents on the dollar there. Right. So I'd want to stay as low as I can. Always try and get them to give you number first. Right. See how low it is. Sometimes I got no clue. And not that we're trying to take advantage of people, but, um, at the end of the day, if somebody needs cash in 20 days and they only want 10 grand for the lot, then I'll give them 10 grand for the lot. Right. Yep. Um, but no, so at the end of the day, yeah, I probably want to be at 50 cents on the dollar. Uh, if I thought it was going to sell on terms, I would need to validate that the terms I could sell it for, I'd get my investment back in six to 12 months at a max, right? So I want to be able to take a down payment and monthly payments to where I made whole in six to 12 months. If I'm not going to be able to feasibly do that in that area, then we either got to adjust the, the buy price, um, or we just pass on the deal, right?
0: So are you, uh, when you're selling on terms, are you actually conveying a deed at the closing or are you doing like a contract for deed and at the end of the arrangement, that's when the deed is transferred?
1: Definitely depends on the state. It depends on the state. Um, Texas doesn't like contract for deeds as much, whereas Colorado and Arizona and New Mexico and Oklahoma, they don't mind it as much. Texas is not a big fan of it. You can do it, but it basically is, you might as well just have a deed of trust. So anywhere that I can get away with a contract for deed, it limits my exposure and liability the most, I believe. Um, And it gives me that mechanism of taking the property back quickly, right? I don't have to wait for a judge. I don't have to wait for anybody. You violated a contract, you're in breach. And the remedy for that in this contract is that I retain, I regain possession of the land. Right. So if somebody defaults and they missed and they hit all the terms in their contract, which is generally 60 days behind um, and no contact with us, then you're then the property's back in our possession. And the six day 61, it's relisted ready to go again. And if they paid, you know, say it's a fifty thousand dollar property. If they paid fifteen thousand dollars, well, we're gonna go sell it again for full for full value. So it's just a fifteen thousand dollar. It was like a free fifteen grand we got on the deal, right? Yep. And We're just going to go sell it again. Um, in Texas, Texas likes deed of trust uh, there, which is probably smarter for the consumer's protection. But um, they do deed of trust, and so anytime we have a foreclosure situation, it's almost always a cash for keys, um, where I'm going to give them some money back, and they're going to deed it over, and we're not going to we're not going to have to deal with any lawyers. Uh, yeah, you know, we've had a few times where we've had to go through the full foreclosure, but. Um, 97% of the time, we don't have any courts or anything involved if someone stops paying. Uh,
0: could you spend a, a, another minute on the deed of trust? So uh, yeah. what, what essentially, what are the rules around that? How does that work?
1: So they can't build typically on the property because if they're going to build, well, this is why I put that. A, I don't want somebody like making permanent changes to the property that they don't own. So I don't want them to go dig a 40-foot pit, right? (laughs) And then they default on the property and I get it back with a 40-foot pit. Um, And second is if you can afford to build, you can afford to pay off the land loan or wrap it up into a construction loan, right? Um, So they can't build, they can use the property, whatever it says, whatever the local county rules are recreationally. So if they want to take the RV out there or camp on it or whatever, they can hunt on it. They can do all that good stuff. Um, and then trying to think what else is in there. Um, it's pretty standard. Uh, it's just a pretty simple deed of trust. Uh, and so the two things we file, we we file a deed of trust that references a promissory note, and then we don't file the promissory note. We keep the promissory note on the side. And so the promissory note, the, the deed of trust basically says, you know, for value in, in consideration, referencing the promissory note, and then the promissory note says you owe $800 a month for six years or whatever it is. Right. Got it. Um, but yeah, so most of the time, right. They have the deed, they know it's going to be a pain in the butt for us to foreclose on it. And so we go to them and we say, Hey, look, you've paid 15 grand. Let me write you a $5,000 check. And like, let's just exchange. Which we'll just do a quick, quick, quick claim deed. I'll send you a check and we'll be on the way. Right. And that typically works. Um, the only times it really hasn't worked for us is when the person has just downright disappeared into thin air and you can't find them. It's like, well, you just got to go take it and foreclose on it and they don't show up. So, um, but most of the time, yeah, very easy to get the land back and resell it when
0: somebody doesn't pay. That's great. So you're, you're focusing on now some of the larger tracks, uh, which is particularly attractive to me. Um, Are you getting into the entitlements? Are you replatting? How far are you taking it, uh, if at all, on those larger tracks that you're targeting now?
1: Yeah, so, you know, as I told you before the show started, I don't like red tape. I don't like people being in my way of getting to the finish of a project. And a lot of states have a statutory regulation or a statutory exemption, rather, that says if you're cutting a property to say you're taking a hundred acre property they say as long as the lots are bigger than x you don't and you're outside of a city jurisdiction you don't have to replat you're already approved so the state will basically approve it for you on a level and as long as you're outside of the city limits right so as long as I'm outside of the city of Dallas and I'm just in the county of Terrell right then I'm good I'm just I already know a base level of what the regulations are going to have to be. Some states have this, some states don't. Um, Texas is 10 acres, in some cases, five acres, but most of the time, 10. So I can go, I can reach out to the owner of a 100 acre track, and I can already know pretty darn good and well that I'll get nine tracks out of it, give or take nine to 10, um, because the state says I can do that rather than having to go and Get the property under contract and then talk to the city council and make sure that they're okay with that, or we have to rezone it, or any of that nonsense. So that's my favorite kind of project is to go find a larger tract. Um, now, sometimes to answer your question, we we do when we have replatted, and it's just when it made the most sense, right? It's like the headache was worth the extra, you know, the extra yield we would get out of the project, if you will. Um, so like sometimes the like, for example, a project I can think of just had a lot of it had a big like 8000 foot corner of road frontage. Right. And road frontage is the holy grail and you're subdividing because you don't have to cut roads, which are extremely expensive. And so it made a lot of sense to utilize that road frontage and go lower than 10 acres. Right. Longer, skinnier track, 10 acre tracks look kind of funny and one acre tracks were beautiful. And so we went through the process and got one acre tracks plotted out again since it's outside of the city. It's just going through the county regulation, so it's honestly very simple. Normally, the local surveyor almost always knows exactly how to do it. That's the that's the hack Because you don't got to figure it out. You just got to hire the surveyor that already has done that before, and they're like, "Oh, well, you talk to Bill, and we go here, and we get it signed, and we'll just take care of that for you." That's the that's the surveyor's job. Um, but yeah, I like to know for feasibility and like financial feasibility. What's the worst case here? I can cut this into 10 acres. What a 10 acre track sell for. And then we can do the math backwards to figure out if the project makes sense.
0: So um, the, the, the road frontage aside, which obviously is like you said, the Holy grail. Um, are you just not doing those deals where you, you don't have a ton of road frontage and you've got to do an internal road network. Cause that gets, that could get messy and, and could be a, a headache, right? So are you just staying away from those deals altogether?
1: So how I like to describe it is we've done variations of all the things. We've done roads, we've done power, we've done water. uh, Well, I guess not all things, we have an extended sewer infrastructure, Um, but we've done them all in different ways. When the properties are rural, you can actually get creative. Um, There's these, these cool systems where you can drill Say you're getting ten lots, you're making ten lots, right? And there's not enough road frontage for it, basically, to extend a water line is always expensive. So instead, you can drill a well, and you can have pressure tanks that are always filled, and it acts in the same way that a water line would. So as long as the well's full, you know, then and the wells are always full, typically. Um, so there's a lot of cool ways you can do it. But to answer your question, we generally don't do much entitlement. Um, again, I'm not afraid of doing an entitlement project but it's just the use of my time. Right. Um, and I also find that entitlement projects in a spec they're speculative in nature. And when you're in a market where you don't want to be doing like, <laughs> where you want some certainty, right. A, uh, like an entitlement project is often, um, it's very speculative because you often have to put up hundreds of thousands of dollars before you're ever backed by any sort of asset to know, <clears throat> to know if you can do your project. Right. Um, and so unless I'm getting into like a, like we have, I have one property that I'm just holding right now. I don't know what I'll do with it. It's like four and a half acres next to us, uh, a nice neighborhood and a golf course. And it's zoned for higher density multifamily. I think we could do a multifamily build on it. I think we could do a storage build on it. Um, the County was pretty open to all of them when I talked to it. Right. So like, we will do it, but at the end of the day, it's just a lot of red tape paperwork. Like the timeline on that deal is going to be. 12 to 18 months minimum, I would think, where I can go through an entire subdivision, construction, listing, sell, everything's closed through title in six months, right? So for me, it's just where my momentum is. And I'm like, I'd rather do three of those and the time it would take me to maybe do one of the other ones. But I've also got some friends that have made a bunch of money in titling land and selling to developers. So there's nothing wrong with it. Our game is just much more on this, on the minor subdivisions.
0: Got it. So uh, are you looking at like timber value and whatnot when you're acquiring these these parcels?
1: <clears throat> so funny, I've gotten asked this question multiple times <laughs> in the past few days. Uh, it, on the East Coast, timber value comes a lot more into the equation mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot more real feasible logging operations going on out there, whereas there's not a ton of logging operations in Texas, Oklahoma, et cetera, where we are. And the other thing is um, with timber, yes, it may have a value, right? But the actual time to harvest process get paid by the time you have all the fees associated with it. It's not as lucrative as, as, as people think. So if we're, if we're flipping a truck that has timber on it um, I'm never, I'm never investigating cutting the timber personally, at least um, I'm just saying, Hey, and, and you can just call the log, like there's multiple logging companies. You can call them, they'll drive by your property. They'll do a, they'll walk an acre of it, look at the types of trees and wood. And they'll give you a rough estimate of what they, how much timber they think's there and and what it would go and what it would go for. So if they say, hey, there's $100,000 of timber on this property, how I calculate it in my head is all right. I'm just going to treat that as like an, like an investment. All right, I'll like, I will value the surface value of the land and then I will take- t- say 20% of that timber value and add it onto the surface value, right? Um, but in a lot of the areas that we work, there's just not, uh, you have to have very specific, the right kind of timber and you need to have a lot of it. So you get a logger to come and set up a big operation to cut for you. Um, so we rarely do much with timber. Uh, it, sometimes we'll just value it and, and pay somebody a little bit more because it adds timber. And on the sales side, I can say, hey, it's got all this timber, blah, 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 right? Um, but we don't do a ton with it.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're right. It is an anomaly, and there is a lot of logistics, and there are you know right now there's a beetle that's eating all the ash trees, yeah. right? Like there's uh-huh. there's a lot of stuff you have to contend with. That said, uh, we've done well um, in Pennsylvania uh, with mm-hmm. with those deals. There there is some significant value that we've been able to pull uh, off the land before going through the next steps uh, and subdividing and so on.
1: Yeah. I have a few, I have a few clients that work and live on the East coast and they deal a lot more with timber. That's why I say the East coast is like, I don't know why it just happens more out there because I have a friend he's, he's been in the, I don't know, the wood industry, the logging industry, whatever it is. He's been in it for a while. And then land was a byproduct of all his logging knowledge. I just call him anytime I have (laughs) have something (laughs) out there. I'm like, what is this worth? I don't know. Um, but yeah, we haven't done a ton with it. We did have one in Oklahoma that was like 400 acres, just solidly full of trees. Um, and so I, I, you know, that one had some real value, I think in the timber we just flipped that track. Um, and so I could, the buyer was like, like land is just like, in my opinion, gold or silver or anything, it's limited in quantity and it's usable, tangible, which makes it more, <laughs> uh, which makes it better. Um, That's kind of the same thing with the timber. It's like, you're buying the land and you're buying the timber, right? So when I come in and say, hey, you're buying a, you know, because I bought it from somebody who didn't really care about the timber that much, right? I can say, hey, this track has $100,000 of timber on it, right? Um, And we're selling the whole track for $150,000. So you're making a really great investment, right? Because you still have the land, timber grows back, yada, yada. Um, So we've done it a few times, but it just doesn't come into play a lot out here normally.
0: Fair enough. Um, so, and, and, and you're not having the, the, the operation in head for the subdividing and cutting in the roads and cause then it does play into it a bit more, uh, but seems to, to make sense. You're not vertically integrated for that kind of operation and nor are you focused in those areas. So, um, you know, you, you're one thing that stood out to me on your site that was different than some of the other folks in Uh, the land space was like the customer journey and the customer experience. Uh, You've spent what appears to be a lot of time, money, and energy focusing on a positive experience for the end buyer um, that is buying the, the property for you. Could you spend a minute or two talking about that? Well, yeah,
1: when you're looking for land, traditionally, you hire a realtor, you get in the truck, and you drive out and look at a property. And maybe you like it, maybe you don't, maybe you want to negotiate on it and then you don't get that deal and you move on to the next one and the next one, it's just a long process. And there's fees, realtors are going to take fees, which are going to naturally drive up the price of land. You know, when somebody calls our, calls our team, like we could, in most cases, like just close a deal over the phone very simply in a matter of days. Right. And we're very flexible too. Like, you know, I, I might sound like a deviant, like, from some of the things we talked about, saying I love defaults, but on the other end, during COVID, I worked with probably over a hundred individual loan holders to adjust their loan so that they could pay and they were comfortable for that time period. Right? I will do, and I tell my team I want to do everything we possibly can to keep somebody paying and keep somebody in the property. Right? They get behind on payments, we'll give them a few strikes. Right? Hey, we'll just add that onto the back end if you can continue paying. We're very, like, I think we're very grace Like we give a lot of grace in what we do, right? Whereas a bank would just slap on the late fees and push it into foreclosure and never like, you know, it would just be a nightmare. With us, it's like, we're, you just call us and it's the same few people you're always talking to, right? Um, and we don't have any real incentives for our salespeople to sell the properties, which I know sounds crazy, but land sells itself. You don't need heavy sales pressure. It's like the land will just sell. We just need a really nice, friendly person to help them through that, understand some of the specifics around what do people care about? Power, water, sewer, like those are the three main things, right? And then some areas can have their own little logistics. Um, But yeah, man, we've sold, I would say 90% of our properties just from just internal, right? Whether it was me selling it or it was our team now selling it. Um, People just like to work with us and about 20% of our buyers buy again, right? Wow. Um, so that, that says a lot, right. Is that they bought 10 acres here and now they want another 10 acres or they want 40 acres. And we also do this weird thing that not a lot of people I've heard do, but we will allow people to like, it's almost a used car dealership kind of play. But if you bought 40 acres here, right. And we have a listing for 80 acres over here or 10 acres over here or whatever, as long as it's more than what you've paid, you can more or less trade in your property to go to buy a different property. Wow. Um, and so we'll do that for people for no fee, basically. Um, we'll make we'll make money because often the property is appreciated. And we'll get it back for, and we'll sell it for more than what we sold it for the first time. And they often take a discount and they pay more for the next property. So kind of exactly what you'd expect when you take your car to a dealership and they say, well, we'll give you $6,800, right? Same thing we do is we'll more or less just handle all the paperwork, do all the deeds, and allow people to transfer. That's something people like when they buy. Um, we're just easy to work with, right? We we'll take a credit card for for up to a certain amount of money, right? Um, we're very easy. So we've had a lot of people that have bought and then bought again, and have just been in the ecosystem for a while. And we have a massive buyers list too.
0: <laughs> oh, that that's it. It it definitely stands out. Uh, you know, as again, I've I've interviewed a number of folks, and and I've dealt with a lot of folks in the industry and your customer journey uh your testimonials it it definitely stood out so i just wanted to touch on it um and look at the end of the day our customers are our customers right it's the lifeblood of what we do and and sometimes folks forget that without our customers you know it doesn't matter how good we are at what we do uh you need folks yeah you know i have
1: heard i've been in places and i don't want to rat you know i don't want to you know talk about it, but I've heard people who are in, you know, they're in the rental game or during the apartment game or whatever. And they talk negatively about the renters or the people who are paying the the fucking rent. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, obviously there's quirks and stories, but like they're, they're the ones that have created your wealth for you, you know? And on our side, like when, if I'm selling a, a property on a mortgage and I'm holding that mortgage, I want to make sure that everyone's happy. You know, because yeah. that at the end of the day, if they wanted to get they could figure out Clint and find a stone number and make my life, you know, a pain in the ass if they wanted to. No doubt. Um, so you know, we want to keep people happy and paying. That's a that's a pretty common trade in business, I think.
0: Absolutely. So um your consulting business, um, you know, one of the captions was, you know, providing land investors with coaching training tools to scale the business through digital marketing. So on that side, again, are you, you know, let's say um, I called you up and I said, hey, Clint, I, wa- I want to go through a program. I want to learn how to do what you do. Are you offering that kind of level of experience? Are you taking people through the entire process and training more Clint's out there? Is that part of what you're doing? <laughs>
1: You know we have so you know I started Learn Land. Uh, that's the name of our consulting company. I started that about three years ago, um, and we've kind of gone through the the gambit of what we've done. Man, we've done we've trained complete newbies who don't know anything about real estate. Um, to we've trained on the other end, we've trained really high level operators <clears throat> in different niches on how to do how to do land right, and that's really kind of where we've landed, pun intended, I guess. Uh, is we work a lot with high-level operators, people who own a, a household sailing business or house flipping business, or they own a commercial real estate investing business. And they're always, and they get land leads from time to time and they think about land, they just don't know land, right? That's, that's really who we work with and what we do most now is we help high-level operators bring in this vertical of land. Because if you've already got marketing going out, if you've got a, you or a team, hopefully helping you processing stuff coming in, Right. And you know how to, the general deal cycle, we've got 80% of the way there. You just need the land knowledge, right? Yep. Um, and truth is we play mostly in Texas. So I don't train a ton of people in Texas, but people outside of Texas, I train a lot of, right? Um, so yeah, we're very specific. I'm not gonna train 10 people in one market, right? First come, first served type deal. Um, but that's mostly what we do is we'll help, we'll help mid to high level operators, who have an, ex- have an established history of successfully investing in real estate, typically in a different asset class. Um, and then they want to bring in land. So that's that's what our consulting offer is these days. And we also have a mastermind. Uh, it's really geared towards high level land investors, specifically people doing a million dollars or more a year in their land investing business. Um, but that's a very, very niche program. So <laughs> not a lot of people exist in that realm. but. Uh, for those that do that that's another product we offer
0: so uh as we we wrap up here what what are your thoughts on you know uh economy as it relates to the land business is it is it a time to pump the brakes is it a time to double down is it a time to remain consistent what what does your crystal ball tell you
1: who's the guy is it is it buffett or somebody says you know when everybody's fearful, get greedy or whatever it is. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, I think that there's going to be a bit of a shift. Um, my personal, as it relates to land, I'll leave the rest of the economy to somebody who knows more about that (laughs) as it relates to land where I think we'll see less buyers are in luxury products. So I think we'll see less buyers and I just closed today and I would, I got the email about an hour before this that the deal funded. I'm just so thankful. Um, But we sold a package of 19, there were luxury lots. We sold them for about a $240,000 price point piece. The the developer will probably sell them for three to 350. But I don't want to be in luxury right now. That's not where I think, I think some, there will still be luxury sales, but where we've made a lot of money and where the biggest buyer pool is uh, right now, I think is a 50 to $150,000 properties. So we're trying to find properties near major growth markets where we can create a product at that price point, right? And then on the back end, we can competitively finance it, especially what the banks doing what the banks are doing, Um, makes us working with us to finance it versus having, dude, for the most part, if you can make your down payment on a property with us, you're good to go. (laughs) We don't need a credit check. We don't need any sort of income verification. If you can make the down payment, we're ready to roll one most of the time, right? So...
0: So what you just touched on, I think might be the single most powerful thing that you've got going on a go forward basis for you because of the price that you're able to acquire and because of the price point you're focusing in, you have the ability to beat the rates, right? Mm-hmm. You can go out there and when everyone is is crazy as rates are raising and raising and raising, they'll come a point, I believe, when you're going to be able to slip in underneath that and say, hey you know by the way 9% 10% we're doing deals over here at 6 and 7 you build mm-hmm. it into the price and you know you exactly. have your own, right it is what it is but i think that's a super powerful tool and and i believe now that we have we've crossed the rubicon in in the big cities i believe that the uh the decentralization is real it's here to stay and until there are major changes in some of the legislative um things that we're seeing come out of the big cities, these secondary markets and these tertiary markets that historically would get annihilated in a market turn mm-hmm. are gonna do the opposite. I think mm-hmm. that that of course there are some markets that I'll never understand how the heck they're Doing what they're doing. But I believe that the right secondary and tertiary markets have now stabilized. And this is the new norm, man. Like, mm-hmm. coronavirus shifted a lot of things and work patterns, and the ability to do this remote and the ability to step away and kind of launch your own business like a land business uh, is here to stay. And I think it's going to support those markets. And I think that there's a hell of a future in, in land investing in the future.
1: Yeah, and the great thing about being able to finance and run that transaction cycle is, as banks tighten up too, they're not gonna, land is one of the first assets that they'll stop lending against, Yep. right? Banks don't love to lend on land unless you're gonna build on it immediately, right? Unless you're wrapping up the land into a home construction loan, because then they can go sell it to Franny or Fetty, right? They know who the buyer is. But for land, they don't always have the mortgage buyer where they have to shove shove it themselves, So it's the first asset typically is like rural land that gets, that gets the next followed by commercial land. Right. Kind of both at the same time, typically. Um, So, yeah, you know, I think it's powerful just one of the fact that I don't think a lot of people will be able to qualify or even just get an asset backed mortgage for the piece of land. Right. Where we do offer asset backed mortgages. I'm not going to sue you to come get the value of your property. I'm just going to take the property back. Right. Whereas a, a lot of the lenders right now that, my buyers were, they're getting approved. They're getting personal loans, not asset loans, right? So their balance sheet confirms the loan, which is their business. That's great, but not a lot of people can do that, right? And that's definitely not going to be the majority and the rates are going up and up. We just had somebody buy, that, that's property project I just told you about. Um, they, the, the reason I was like this thing, like I, every day I'm waiting for a message for this thing to fall apart or they want some concessions because they engaged us to buy this when rates were a pretty consistent four, four and a half. And I don't know where they locked their rating, Right. So I didn't know if they got up to six or up to seven and they said it funded. So I am feeling better now, but um, you know, that's, that's something I was legitimately worried about. So, you know, I think it's a powerful thing to be able to buy a low and then control the full, the full cycle. I will tell people there's a lot of gurus and people out there that talk about this model as if it's the like Holy grail of investing styles. I like to, I'm not the, the, um, the most motivating guru sometimes I think, because I tell people that to build the land note business, it takes a lot of time. I didn't yeah. really make a lot of money the first couple of years because you're negative after you finish a deal at the beginning, right? Now, when you're into that game and now you have 40,000, 50,000, $80,000 a month on mortgages, well, then the game flips. And now you're making plenty of money, right? But to do the notes, right. Um, it takes, you know, it takes a year or two of really pounding the pavement for not a ton of upfront reward. Um, and the other thing I tell people is like every dollar I make in land, it goes to commercial assets. <laughs> I don't keep it like, unless there's a great opportunity, I'll reinvest. Right. But the money that I make w- that I want to keep forever, I stick into a commercial asset. Right. Um, I, I like storage quite a bit. So I'll, typically I'll be in a storage development or syndication or building that we own. Um, so there are some downsides. Land isn't perfect, right? There's no depreciation, there's no tax benefits, very high tax really. First time I got a tax bill is really uh, really eye-opening. I'm like, well, how can I make that not happen again? Right. <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah that's what we do and you know it's not the holy Grail, but it's it's where I found my momentum. Um and I think I still think it's got a five, 10 year run until it's in the like house wholesaling kind of you know, there's a lot of people trying to wholesale houses, you know, um, and land is still not really like that. You know, there's definitely more competition, but it's a fun area to play. And I tell people all the time, if I ever go broke, no, I don't. But if I ever do, like I can always pick the phone up and I can find a lot for $10,000 less than somebody else will buy for it. Cause I've learned how to do it. Right? Yep. Um, and so it's a, it's an invaluable skill. And when you're at the real estate meetup party whatever, People always want to talk to the lane guy. It's funny. <laughs> there's 97 percent of people aren't the lane guy there, and there's oh you do land. Let's let's talk, right? Um, so it's a fun skill set to have, and I definitely recommend it.
0: Yeah, no doubt, man. And in, in that vein, what's the best way for folks to to find you and reach out, Clint?
1: Just find me on social media and follow me wherever you like to. Um, Clint Turner on all the platforms: um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you are. We also have a YouTube channel. Uh, we put out one to two videos a month. Sometimes, sometimes I don't, but uh, we try our best. Uh, we have a podcast. Um, it's called the Happy Land Pod. Uh, we talk a lot more about the mindset behind investing, a little less about skills and tactics, because um, I think when you're when you're winning up here, you often have the fortitude to win out, you know, in the market. So um, those are short episodes. They're about three to seven minutes, so very easy to digest. Listen in the morning, whatever. Um, that's how I would say, find me. And then, you know, if you're anywhere that you want to learn land from new to like experienced investor, just feel free to reach out to us again on social media. There's plenty of ways we can help you get the basics of land and it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg. Right. Um, but if you are an experienced investor, it might be a little more expensive, but anyhow, um, yeah, but just to connect with anybody over social media, that's perfect.
0: Well, as always folks, the links, uh, to find Clint are below. Uh, Clint Turner, Away Land Company, folks, let's get out there and start investing. Is never a better time than now to get things going. Clint, thank you so much for the time today.
1: Thanks, James. Appreciate you having me on.
0: It was an absolute pleasure. Everyone out there, please stay safe.